0: Today on The Flying Irishman, we meet Kenny Jacobs. Of all the untold stories and the -the behind-the-scenes Irish characters of aviation we've encountered across this series, Kenny Jacobs is one that those without knowledge of the business will be most surprised by. He made headlines for turning around the public image of Ryanair at a time when they were the butt of quite a few jokes. It's a subject that has come up time and time again on this show, so it's great to finally get the inside look at how that dramatic change took place and the story behind the man who instigated it. Where, where do we find you at this point in the day? Like, what, How does your day generally break down?
1: Jar, Jarl- well it's great to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be, part of, uh, to be part of the show. My day breaks down in a different way every single day. Today I'm in Dublin um, um, and it's early September. So like any parent, uh, my focus at the moment is, uh, other than work, would we'll be getting my kids settled back into school. But Dublin is where you find me today. Mm, and, you know, how was your relationship with school as a youngster? I loved school. Uh, I went to school in Cork. I loved the studying aspect. Uh, I went to a rugby school, and I loved the rugby aspect. Uh, it was an all boys school, CBC Cork, uh, mm. and I really, really did love the structure, the routine. I really? missed it in the I missed it in the summer, and uh, I think it was really, really good. And I. Still would say many of my best friends in life were guys that I was in school with, which I think is a a good sign to the camaraderie and uh, the way we grew up there, yeah.
0: I ask it because I often find that with people that find themselves in marketing specifically, they tend to be people that face the opposite direction. They see the structure, they recognize it for what it is, and they try and enjoy themselves in circumventing it or going around the outside. That wasn't you.
1: No, and I disagree with that view on marketing. Um, really? Yeah, I think I think there was a time when that's when marketing was. It's how can I create a bit of magic that gets people to swim against the tide. But I think with new media, uh, I'm talking over the past 20 years, I think marketing has become about optimizing within the existing structure in a better way than your competitors. and um, mm. So I don't think there's that much magic to be found. Look, there'll always be exceptions, but generally marketing has become less about the magic, more about the execution, uh, mm. more about the targeting, more about the pricing, the value for money, having the right product. It's about getting the basics right more of the time, rather than selling people on a story the way, the way it used to be when it started. Yeah. Okay,
0: right. Well, I might be showing my own age there in terms of my business <laughs> background, then, because I obviously went to the Smurfit Business School. Uh, like it just—it doesn't seem like twenty years ago, but it nearly is. Uh, it was around the time that you were leaving Accenture. You were finding your way towards Tesco. Uh, that is an unusual route. When I speak to people in aviation, they tend. to to love planes, <laughs> early doors, yeah. making paper airplanes, climbing into things yeah. and pushing them off cliffs.
1: And that's who they are, not you. Um, that's who they are. I, I like planes. I love travel. <laughs> uh, and they're different planes. Uh, there is a type of person who loves planes, the different models, the engines, uh, will happily go and get in the plane, look around it and not go anywhere. I'm, mm. much in, I'm much more into the going places. Uh, fundamentally, I think travel is one of the best things ever created for human beings. Um, but I think it's about where you're going to. I don't think the aircraft, the airline, or the airport really play a role other than helping you to get to that joy. Uh, but the joy is, be it Manhattan because you're going there on business to do some shopping, be it Malaga because you're going to the sunshine. I think Travel is amazing, and it's all about the destination. Uh, that That's what excited me and drew me to travel, and keeps drawing me to want to travel. Because um, that applies also beyond the aeroplane. That might be taking the train home to Cork. That might be taking a boat to Cherbourg to go to the south of France. Uh, all types of travel, I think, is fascinating, is wonderful. It's what excites human beings. Uh, and I think the aviation part is is really, really cool as well. But I'm not an aviation nerd. Mm. I love the beauty of travel and the way it makes people feel.
0: Wow, that's a really interesting answer and not one I was expecting. When I heard about your interview with Michael O'Leary, when (laughs) one would expect that he's pitching the job to you and you say he completely turned the tables and threw it to you and said, well, why would we want you like what are you going to do for us did you give him much the same answer that you just gave me uh, or had not. you <laughs> previously had you previously identified things in Ryanair that you thought needed to change
1: that's exactly what i did uh i would have been a regular living in the uk i would have been flying back to ireland regularly on Ryanair and flying Ryanair from Manchester where I was living to Europe on holidays regularly so I think yeah knowing the product and knowing what were the good and the bad parts of the product that needed to be improved that's exactly where um where I started you know that was a Ryanair at the time that had a very very below average website didn't have an app uh, didn't really optimize the the web traffic the existing customers that it had, so that it could keep getting them to come back and book again and again and buy other ancillary products while they were buying flights. So that's very much where it centered. That conversation, that interview centered on things like that, rather than the uh, selling Michael on the uh, the <laughs> beauty of the beauty of travel. He's more into the beauty of horses than the beauty <laughs> of travel. He's extremely effective. <laughs> at, the, sure. at the travel business. Uh, but that, uh, th- there me, were better you, things to talk about. <laughs> how, how does that go?
0: Because in some ways, it's the ballsiest move going and probably one that not everybody would go to. Y- you recognized that he didn't want his ego massaged. He wanted to know what he was bad at and what you could improve. Uh, how does he take it when you're pointing out these things that they're behind on oh
1: it's very very well look he is a he is a very driven determined successful person he is fully aware and he's humble um and he he's aware that where there are deficiencies and where there are things that can be improved you have to, you, you have to decide you take them on not everything you know there are mm. marketeers would say you need to do all these wonderful nice things for your customers but that's not Ryanair and it never will be and it never should be it's a very functional brand a very functional product it should be always be the cheapest uh, and it should deliver and execute the product in the best possible way that's keeping it simple that's being on time that's not cancelling flights. so Ryanair is a very very strong functional brand Uh, you know Emirates will position their product as something that's emotional it's higher end it's luxury it's all those other things and it serves it serves a different purpose but to answer your question specifically you know michael is probably the most successful airline ceo globally at the moment because he listens in the right way to the right things not to everything uh, and he changes the bits that need to be changed
0: mm, yeah i mean that quality Over and over again, of course, across the Irishman Abroad podcast network, time and time again, it doesn't matter if you're a snooker player, an athlete or a writer, hearing criticism and reacting to it well seems to be a defining characteristic uh, of greatness. And the criticism of Ryanair at that time, if you could take us back to that place, was that their relationship with the customer... I don't know if I'm going too far, Kenny, but it was antagonistic nearly. The game was, oh, you're going with Reiner. Just get ready. Do this. Pack like this and don't look sideways. Put your handbag in your back. All of this stuff was them versus us. Was that on the table that day and in those first few months that here's how the world sees you? Uh, how can we pivot it?
1: Uh, Yes, it was. Uh, And and again, I think it's testament to the, you know, within the organization, because it appears on the outside to be very antagonistic, but inside the organization, there is a willingness to listen, not to everything, but listen to the right things and change things in the right direction to the right degree that you're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, there Mm. are functional brands that had rough edges in a similar way to Ryanair had, and they tried to change too much and they didn't get that right. And then they lost the successful aspects of their product, of their brand positioning, um, to begin with. You know, you could look at a lot of the low cost carriers in the States uh, and, you know, Southwest was the original, but yes. if you, if you go on the Southwest website, if you fly Southwest, you know, it doesn't resemble a low cost carrier anymore. It's in fact, it's not a low cost carrier anymore. That has created the opportunity again for people like Frontier and Spirit to grow into the position that Southwest originally had. I think Ryanair was willing to change. I think change the right things without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It was still all about cost and the number one reason for people to choose one airline over another is always going to be price. Um, um, And it kept that strength that it had on value for money on on-time performance, but it changed the right aspects of the product in a way that attracted two particular groups of customers. One of being one is, is families with young kids, uh, and you know allowing people to pick their own seats, having things like a family product, really then brought a lot of new family customers to to Ryanair. And then the second group would have been business customers, um, and and flexing the product, adding new fare bundles, just made you know, allowed you to say to business customers, we've got the bundle for you that gives you fast track, that gives you priority forwarding. And then that really grew the number of business customers who were flying with Ryanair. So I think it's changing the right things. It's not promising everything. You know, we put all of these changes under the, under the strap line and the campaign always getting better, which, you know, give, conveys the fact that it's a, a a continuous mission to improve the product. Yeah, and we're not perfect. Uh, and we're not perfect. And we never said we would be, or that we're trying to get to perfection, but we will we will listen and we will improve the right things, but we will never compromise on giving you the best on-time performance and the lowest fares. And I think it's a very good case study on how, on how you do that, because as I said, I've seen a few businesses who, you know, at a point in time where they got into a spot of bother, said, right, everything's up for discussion. And at Ryanair, it wasn't that conversation. It was most things were up for for discussion, but we will not compromise on the on-time performance and on the uh, on the low fares. And you know, one thing that one thing that I kind of saw that I will kind of just point out as one example. You know, people would say, "Okay, there's five people late to the airport. Could you not hold the plane for them?" And anyone who knows aviation. Would say, well, no, you can't do that because if you're holding the plane for five people, and you've got 185 on the plane already. Mm. What are you going to tell them if you miss your slot because of ATC? Because it's a Friday afternoon and slots are slots are tight. Sure. And are, are, is everybody going to be two hours late to Malaga because you missed your slot waiting for five people because you thought mm-hmm. that would be a nice thing to? And of course, the right answer is no. You don't wait for the five people. You encourage the five people with lots of emails and notifications to make sure they get to the airport quicker. Mm. I mean, you're describing things that
0: we now take as matter of fact, but they were changes at the time that you had to be watching each green light go on in relation to, let's say, for example, just desktop booking. Most flights, when I first emigrated to England, you booked on your laptop and you printed it at home. Uh, the smartphone and the arrival of the smartphone changed all of that. Flipped it all on its head. You had to be thinking as these things arrived online that a lot of the problems your ground staff were facing in terms of smudged and ripped um, boarding cards were going out the window. And it was nearly like you know your numbers are coming in here. These things are falling into place to do the things that you wanted to do.
1: Yeah, there but. I, I guess as a former retailer, and I thought it was really interesting to go from retail into aviation because there was so there was a lot of very low hanging fruit that I saw with particularly things like uh, in the digital area. So, right. you know, the airlines don't you know the printed piece of paper with your boarding pass is something that the customers didn't like, the check-in staff didn't necessarily like, and it was a great hook to get people to download the app. The fact yeah. that you would just have that convenience of having a digital. uh boarding pass and you didn't have to print the piece of paper, particularly when you were going to someplace like Spain Mm -hmm. and how, you know, I'm going for uh, a week. How am I, where am I going to find someplace to print? I mean, I used to go around Spain and you'd see shops with that little sign in the window that, you know, for five, for a Euro, we'll print your Ryanair boarding pass. Mm -hmm. So it was a real low hanging fruit that you just said, just give people that simple convenience and what you'll do is you just absolutely drive app downloads. Uh, and that's what happened. So I think that's been a bit of retail common sense, uh, applying that to aviation and applying it to Ryanair in a way that hadn't been applied before that gave you some of those very, very quick wins. You know, I think in the first few months we launched a new website, we launched the first app, uh, we started really programmatic email marketing. We allowed, we allowed customers to pick their own seat uh and pay for it so it was good for customers and good for the airlines pnl we we introduced uh you know we changed the baggage policy so a few of those things that ryanair was famous for you know the free-for-all getting on the plane yes. and what's going to happen to the bags even fixing those two really in you know everybody saw straight away be they customer or be they ryanair employee or in the head office or cabin crew or pilots everybody saw that it was uh everybody saw that it was different Uh, Mm. straight away and then all the subsequent changes became a lot uh, a
0: lot easier that was going to be my next question Kenny to be honest I'm so fascinated by cultural change wherever that change might take place whether it's Brian Clough coming in and you know just not making the change that he wanted at Leeds or Mm. just the cultural change that I'm witnessing having come back to Ireland post repeal Mm. it's it's an unquantifiable thing. You can't quite put your thumb on what it is that forces the change to reach its tipping point, but we all feel it when it's taken place. Mm. Who was the first to articulate the move from cheap and nasty to cheap and smart? Because they really are the farthest ends of the spectrum, but there's such a crucial change there.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's a good way to describe the transition. It went from cheap and unnecessarily nasty in parts to cheap, smart, um, or I would say even cheaper and just smart and just appreciating Mm. the the way that customers wanted to transact with the business and just toning down the language. Um, Right, yes. uh, And I think that was an obvious, for me, that was a very obvious thing to see. I think it's, you're right. There is, I've seen businesses try to make change and not be able to make change. A couple of comments I'd make on that. I think Irish organizations can do it really, really well. Um, And, you know, that's because people are humble. People want to get on with things. And, you know, Ryanair's head office, it is really run from Dublin and everything is run from Dublin. It is a very, very tight system of getting things done. And once everybody in the head office gets behind things, uh, it quickly filters to all the bases across the network. So mm. I think Irish people can change faster than some other cultures I've seen. And Ryanair being a very, very tight, centralized system of managing and running a business, that meant that you got things to the other bases very, very quickly. I think having everything under the strap line always getting better. And that was the language that we spoke to customers in staff in and shareholders in it really captured the imagination of everybody involved and sure yeah
0: it brings everyone on board it it, it brings
1: everyone on board and it was you know it was one kitchen cooking that message whether you were serving it up to the different types of audiences be they customers uh regulators shareholders uh or employees so that really really worked i think Fast-moving organization, good communications, and then pick off a couple of high-profile changes that really demonstrate, wow, they're serious about this. That's Mm -hmm. how I think the change happened, Uh, the change happened so quickly. And again, if you take that boarding process, going from the free-for-all to having your own seat, going from the free-for-all with the bags to having a more flexible baggage policy, that really showed people that, wow, the two things I disliked about Ryanair have changed all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Then people said, these guys are serious about us.
0: Well, this is the Flying Irishman podcast, and I'm so happy that you brought up Irishness specifically, because it comes up so many times, whether it's in my conversations with Declan mm. Ryan or Julie Garland, the unique role that Irish people play in the aviation industry. And you mentioned change there and their ability to cope with change, which is obviously a fundamental part of any role in aviation is exactly how volatile and quickly things can change and your ability to move with that change i asked deck in one of my interviews with him about hiring these people and finding these kinds of people do you you've been in that position right you've been behind the desk meeting these people coming in what is it you are looking for and what is it the kind why is it that it's irish people that tend to rise to the top in this business
1: uh yeah, I mean it's 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 incredible. Um from messers to airlines to even even in airports. Um in every aspect of, of aviation, Irish people have uh have done well. I mean, look, there will be the romantic notion of that we are a nation who had to leave and there's a romance with travel that's kind of in our DNA. I, I think it's probably more fundamentally down to the fact that Irish people work hard. Um They are driven, um, they're very good operators. You know, there's very Irish people are great retailers as well. Uh, and that's an industry that also requires agility, smart, hard work. So I think what you need to succeed in aviation, a lot of those characteristics are the characteristics of just driven Irish people. Um, and that will continue to be the case. You know, the right blend of hard work and entrepreneurialism, um, and just being able to roll with the punches be that covid be that regulation be that things just going wrong in the industry Irish people have proven themselves to be good at all aspects um mm. of aviation uh, and i think that's um i think that's fantastic when you're meeting people saying you know what do you need within them and you know the people that Ryanair would need in aviation will be different to the people that Aer Lingus will need because every organization's culture is unique but there are common things across aviation, I think you need flexible people, people who could go from a marketing job to a commercial job, to to an operational job. I would say to everybody thinking of a career in aviation, you know, because there are the the clever people who will work out the networks, work on the profitability, work on all the route analysis, everybody should spend time up at the airport. Um, And just seeing how, you know, what it's actually like to do the check-in, what it's actually like to do the uh, boarding passengers onto uh, a flight, getting passengers off a of flight, all of that is good experience. To, you know, to actually experience the product that your customers go through. I mean, it's a pretty simple product. You know, you get to the airport, you you get your bags through, you go through security, you get on the plane, you're strapped into the plane for most of the flight, and you can do very little on it. And then you get off the flight. So it's a pretty simple product when I contrast it with other things. Sure. Um, You know, a customer can do a lot more when you let them around a big Tesco store than they can around walking around a Ryanair aircraft. But just, just understanding the product uh, everybody should do, uh, and to kind of come back and answer the question, I hope Irish people will continue to play a leading role in aviation. So I think it's a good match with the natural characteristics of Irish people, be that our society, our education system, everything you know being Mm, humble is good
0: i think it's something to do with the weather as well you kind of can't plan (laughs) stuff
1: (laughs) properly and and and, and we love travel we do yes irish people have always loved travel and you know i remember going up in i remember going up in cork and going over to london to do job interviews when i was in my final year in ucc and i remember looking at those printed tickets and it was Three hundred and eighty sterling to fly from Cork to Heathrow. Wow! And I was glad that someone else was paying. Now they that was that was nineteen ninety six, and that was still you know sounds ages ago to some people, but it wasn't that long ago. But that was still the era when travel to people meant that two things: my 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 su- my one summer holiday, and then if it's a business flight, I hope someone else is paying. And now you look at that, and you look at how often people travel. You know the flexibility they have, the number of places they go, and then you get back to the point where I get back to my absolute love of travel because it is just it's just fantastic, and it's great that people now can go so many places and they can travel, you know, at such a at such a low cost compared to what they used to pay previously when travel really was and flying really was something that middle class could think about doing, but not everyday Irish people.
0: Yeah, I mean that's an insane amount of money. Isn't it 300 and, 380 pounds back in what did you say with 96? 1996. So that works out at 615 yeah. pounds sterling in today's money. That yeah. that's it with an inflation calculator used there. Yeah. It is it is another world when you consider that kind of change. And I do feel like we're on the edge of some other phase in this world when we look Mm. at the cost of living crisis the shift in political movements around the world the change in america even since Mm. 1996 Mm. you've obviously moved on from ryanair and h h consulting works with airlines and other retail organizations on their digital marketing and communications your job is in some ways to foresee what's ahead and kind of future-proof these businesses from what might be down the line, or have I got that wrong?
1: No, that's 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 anyone who's advising a business uh, needs to give them a view on what the road ahead can can look like, and very hard I to predict think, at the moment. Very hard to predict. I mean, I was having a conversation with someone this morning saying, "Who would have thought that the next two years could be harder than the two COVID years?" Exactly. Um, but they may well be. They may well be for. Ordinary consumers and for businesses, both big businesses but particularly small businesses, and we wouldn't have thought that was happening. You know, every central banker predicted that you know once the once the lockdown stopped, all that pent up demand would be brilliant. There would be a boom like there was after after the world wars. But now we've seen that it's something different, and you know, I mean. What happened between Russia and Ukraine was a little bit more predictable than some people were are kind of are are, are saying. But now we're in a, an unprecedented place. I think the next 12 months could be torturous. You know, inflation will really only kick in when people see their energy consumption go up now that the summer's over and the weather starts to get bad and uh, and the food inflation that's all that's already there. But it is really, really, really top. And that's gonna feed into Geopolitical instability, and uh, we're in unprecedented times. I mean, ultimately, taking a long-term view, I think things will settle down into a shape that looks like kind of 2018 and 2019, when things were last normal, when we didn't mm. have the world in a state of uh, in, a, in a state of crisis. But that looks like it could be five years away or more, and in the meantime all those savings that were built up in Covid are now being spent not buying capital items like new cars and new homes, but just spent on people's ordinary living. And no that no one expected that. The war in the Ukraine could get worse and other people could get involved uh, and that could take years. Um, and you could take a positive view and say, well, if it teaches countries like Ireland to make sure that we can store gas and Europe to to, to kind of reorientate its energy policy away from dependency on Russia. They're ultimately good things, but we're going to go through a lot of difficulty. And deflation and prices going backwards, unfortunately, isn't something that ever rare you know that rarely happens. Hmm. So there is going to be inflation, I think, in the system for a period of time. I, I which is a simple analogy again that I was talking to someone about yesterday. If you know if you take a restaurant in Dublin that's selling a particular meal, let's say steak and chips for 20 euros between their input costs now that dish is going to be on the menu for 25 euros but the person who's coming in enjoying it is probably going to have 15% less disposable income because of the other inflation out there so it's going to be really really hard you could see restaurants deciding to close for a few months other businesses not deciding to operate for a few months it's going to be a difficult it's going to be a difficult year. So I think individual consumers and businesses will need to hunker down.
0: It's so uh, connected. It's all so interconnected, uh, especially when we talk about, you know, the fuel and the, the carbon footprint of aircraft. A subject mm. that's come up again and again in all my mm. aviation conversations mm. about, well, how do we make this thing that people love so much and clearly enjoy
1: mm.
0: more eco-friendly? Do you foresee that and are you in conversations that we might not know about as just regular folks who just love buying tickets for planes and going nice places about that move to reducing that number, to get those emissions down, to maybe clear the conscience a little bit, to encourage people, yes. even in a downturn, to go, hey, well, this, this, is, this is cheaper and there's a cheaper way of doing it that's more conscious of the
1: environment? Yeah, I, I think... Current difficulties aside, I think that's a big, big question. Um, And I actually think the airlines that I know are working on this and are making more progress than people probably know. I mean, fundamentally, where do I think this nets out? I, I think people will always want to travel and trying to suppress demand for travel isn't necessarily the right way to tackle this. I think the right way to tackle this is to give people choices. I think fundamentally, if you want to take the carbon out of air travel, new aircraft, new engines on new aircraft, higher seat density and sustainable aviation fuel is the way you do it. You know, um, 189 people flying on a, a a. fully loaded Ryanair, new aircraft flying to Spain is a, is much better use of carbon per person flying than 20 people flying business class on a 30 year old jet. Hmm. So I think it's about encouraging the airlines to have newer fleets. I think it's about encouraging the engine manufacturers to work on engines that continually reduce the amount of carbon used, and also at the same time, hopefully reduce the amount of noise produced. Uh, And it's about working the entire industry, but the, the BPs and the shells of this world, producing much, much greater quantities of sustainable aviation fuel that, that can supply the demand that's out there from the, from the airlines. That's how you do it. Uh, I think ultimately then I would give consumers visibility of their travel choices. You know, I would love that one single app that tells me how much carbon I've used this week, this month, this year, between flying, driving, and every other carbon using form of transport that I take and um, to make those smarter travel choices. But I, I think it's not about a tax uh, on travel. It's not about saying these are minimum fares. Uh, I think it's just making people fully aware, encouraging the industry to have sustainable aviation fuel, have the younger uh, aircraft and invest in those technologies that will allow the engines just to reduce less and less carbon uh, as time goes on. And if all of that ends up with, in 50 years' time, nuclear-powered engines so that we have zero carbon flights, then that's the future and that's something that people should keep an open mind to. Um honestly, Kenny, my
0: head <coughs> swims a little bit when I think about this. I don't know yes. if it's the same way for you. I very much doubt it. But when I see BP raking in profits like they yes. are, I just I, I kind of doesn't make sense to me that we can be in this position watching petrol prices go up the way they are paying for petrol yes. by the sniff is what I've been yes. saying to people. Yes. It's it, it, it's a. It's exactly like what happened at Dublin Airport in terms of queues out the door, where I'm just going, scratching my head, like a lot of people going, well, people are in need of work at the moment. What What is taking place here? What was your view of that? And what is the labour market like? Because all I meet mean, now that I'm back in Ireland, is people complaining that they can't get the staff.
1: and um, yeah, and you you can walk around Dublin and still see all those signs outside any bar and restaurant of people looking for for staff. I mean, there was a piece on radio last week where Supermax uh, in Dublin were offering accommodation to new members of staff, uh, and you know that's why we've also got an accommodation crisis going on as well as a an employment crisis with employers not being able to find people. I think the Honestly, I'll put the context of Dublin Airport and that one wobble that it had, uh, like this. As someone, you know, I would have travelled around a lot of different airports over in Europe over the summer, uh, and I would say people now, anyone with the industry, industry within the industry, would now say, actually, do you know what? Manchester, Schiphol, Heathrow, many other airports were way worse. I think Dublin really? had its had it, Dublin, yeah, absolutely, Dublin had its wobble, and uh, I would say a good you know, good testimony to the character of of Dublin Airport, they recovered extremely quickly and extremely well. Um, and again, that comes back to, I think, the resilience and the flexibility of Irish people working in aviation. They, they got out of that mess very, very quickly and did a good job for the rest of the summer. And I would take my hat off to them for that. Uh, you know, you look at Heathrow who are extending the cap that they have on, uh, on, on traffic through, through the autumn and possibly through the winter. So I think always judge an organization on its ability to deal with the crisis, uh, as much as the crisis. And I think they, they made a mistake. They messed up a roster. You know, there were people who weren't able to, uh, work at security who were rostered to work at security. That was a single particular acute mistake. Uh, but I think they recovered. From us, uh, they recovered of it quite well. Ireland's a village. So, of course, the media jumped on it and it was the only show in town mm. uh, from the point of view that, you know, it's terrible for the reputation of the country. I think the media probably overdid it. It was a bad couple of weeks. They dealt with it well. And in hindsight, when you look at the performance and the non performance of an airport like Heathrow, I think people should say actually, Dublin did much better than Heathrow <laughs> over the past six months.
0: And sometimes I don't think Ireland is that different from anywhere at all, in that, you know, Joe Biden is being placed, the blame being placed firmly on his shoulders in America for the price of petrol. Nobody has taken the time to look around the rest of the globe and see everybody is facing the exact same problem. I want to loop back, though, Kenny, as we head towards the conclusion of our conversation to, you know, Ryanair is very much in your, your rear view mirror, but there's still uh, you're still working in the business, advising aviation companies and uh, flight operators as to how to how to do this in this current world, in this market that they're facing. is there is there light in it? like are, are you seeing no, no, you don't understand there's there is something here that even when people are tight as we were in back in 2013 when you first came to Ryanair, mm. there's a way there's a language. There's steps that can be taken, or is it as you said, unlike any other time we faced?
1: Uh, no, there is there there is a way. There is a way through it. The circumstances are different, but the way you navigate out of the dark room, it's the sa- it's it's the same principles that you would um, same principles that you would go through. Any airline and anyone involved in aviation now should be starting to think about next summer. You know, the summer of 2022 is now over. But anyone who's had those staffing shortages, the kind of the issues that they've had, kind of getting back up and running fully, compared to how they ran in 2019, now should be thinking about the summer of 2023 and how do they make sure that they can operate their full capacity? uh, You know, have enough pilots, have enough cabin crew, have enough ground handlers, have enough ground handling partners, really start to get into planning a much much better summer. Uh, of 2023 because i think customers will be a lot less forgiving next year i think um, so yeah you know in 2022 anybody just want everybody just wanted to get away on holidays and if you got away reasonably on time then that was uh then that was okay because this was the big summer of release and mm-hmm. getting back to normal but i think next summer you will be judged harder so i think everybody needs to make sure that they are match fit for easter to have the right resources in place, change their operational procedures if they need to, but you will be judged in a different way next year, so get ready for that now. And then it's just back to the the grind. It's back to staffing, rostering, uh, have you got enough capacity in every part of the system, uh, and make sure that you build build in some operational resilience so that you can deal with stuff if it comes up. Hopefully that's not another pandemic, and no organization kind of builds that type of resilience into into their system, but just making sure that you can give a more consistent execution of your product next year, I think is what it's all about.
0: Where is the biggest joy that you've taken at this life in aviation or the time that you've spent working with aviation? Uh, What was the, what is the moment that you tend to go back to yourself in your own mind, or do you not hold back, hold on to these moments? I feel like the turnaround that you have to take so much responsibility for at Ryanair has to be a high up there there has to be a moment there where you finally got to clink a glass or feel like you actually you actually did this uh, and and
1: it's it's what you just said i think it's 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 always getting better at Ryanair, and it's just those moments where simple things make such a big difference and such a big improvement uh, in the minds of customers and in the minds of people working at Ryanair. So it's probably not a clink of a glass, it's more of a clink of an iPhone, meaning the Ryanair app, Mm. and just doing that simple thing because that device was in the hands of customers and all you did was make it much more simple for them to be a Ryanair customer. So definitely that, Uh, you know, I'm still a... Great customer of Ryanair. I love the product, uh, and I love the impact that I was able to have there in a seven-year period. It was a joy to work in, uh, and it was great. It was great to be there for that chapter in its in its history.
0: Well, I do ask a lot of people this question because the impression I get from aviation people is similar to horse people that it wants you all for itself, and that in some ways. How long is a piece of string in terms of work in this area? How over the years have you managed the work-life balance, Kenny? Has it ever tipped the wrong way? Or are you pretty good at that side of things?
1: Um, I I am better now because I'm now working less than I was when I was at Ryanair when I was at Tesco. So Mm. I think I probably was one of those people who didn't have the right balance. Um, My kids are 13 and 12. And I must say, over the past two years since I've left Reiner, I have enjoyed have, you know, having more time with them, particularly at this stage in their life. Um, but I am probably one of those people who got it more wrong than right previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm now kind of paying a little bit back for that
0: sure but you gotta kind of got to learn it the hard way in so many ways <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> yeah but uh, Kenny it's been such fun to chat to you I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do it uh, and best of luck with everything that lies ahead Jarla. thank you very much it's been a pleasure talking to you what a fun conversation with Kenny Jacobs huge thanks to him as always and to all the guests who have made up this series and made it what it is our next guest on the next episode of The Flying Irishman is Conor McCarthy. And if you've ever wondered what it's like to set up an airline of your own during a pandemic, well, he's the man to ask.
1: I got an approach to say, are you going to bid for this Aer Lingus Regional Network? And I, I kind of took a, a pause and said, I hadn't really thought about it. and individual who said it to me said you'd certainly be in with a shout so that was in may 2020 and then in um i think it was november that year we we won selection as the preferred operator of the Aer Lingus franchise that's conor
0: mccarthy coming up next in episode nine of the flying irishman
1: subscribe to and leave a review of the flying irishman on apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts Music on this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. Sound production, editing and research by Jarlith Regan. Special thanks to Declan Ryan and Ellen James. Flying Irishman is an Irishman Abroad podcast.